Jews did develop a very particular approach to space, to formulating space, to shaping space, but they didn't do it with bricks and mortar, they did it with words. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. And I'm Ilana Zakon. Join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we're joined by architect Manuel Hertz, who designed the stunning Babinyar Synagogue in Ukraine, and which is now the subject of an art exhibit in Toronto. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. Alana, what do you know about architecture? (laughs) I appreciate architecture. I have to say that when we booked this guest, I had no idea where to start on the research. But then I found a video of this synagogue in Babinyar, and my mind was blown. David, did you see the video? You know, my mind was equally blown when I saw the video, but I think we do need to explain what Babinyar is, the, the importance of it, and what the synagogue represents. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> well, for you're putting all it. David, didn't you learn this in improv ever? It's like when you start a scene and someone's holding something and you're like, what's that? And then you're making thought, the other Alana, person come up with everything. Alana, I thought you were going to yes and me at this point. This is where I thought we were going to go, but I guess not. So I think I should explain the bit of the background on Babinyar. Babinyar is located in Ukraine and it was the site of the first uh, massacre in the Holocaust. So a lot of devastation, a lot of killing happened there. And basically, and basically, Manuel Hertz designed a synagogue in that area, that location. But this is not a typical synagogue. I really, really encourage you to look up a video of what it looks like, because you would probably not notice it if you happen to walk by its location. It's a flat piece of wood that you crank open, and it literally pops open, and every single element of the synagogue then expands outward to become this giant pop-up book, essentially, which might be hard to imagine as I'm describing it. But if you look at the video, you'll know what we're talking about. And we're going to hear a bit about why he designed it that way and a bit more about the history from Manuel himself. So we'll take a listen to the interview. But before we do, uh, if any of you have been listening to our previous episodes, you would have heard ads running about the exhibit at the Koffler Center. We just were so interested by what Manuel Hertz was doing, the synagogue and everything going on. We wanted to interview him independently. Um, of the ad. So this isn't an all of the ad. There, this is not so, related to the ad at all. This is not paid promotion. <laughs> That's what David's not, trying not, to say. That is exactly it. was an it. independent decision made by us. Thank you, Alana. <laughs> UJA's Walk with Israel is happening this Victoria Day, Monday, May 22nd. Join thousands of community members for the world's largest Israel Solidarity Walk, followed by an epic Israeli-themed beach party to celebrate Israel's 75th birthday. Get all the details by visiting walkwithisrael.com. This is our moment to unite as one strong and proud Jewish community, religious and secular, left and right, Jews and allies. Everyone belongs at the Walk with Israel. Register before May 19th, and if you use the promo code CJN, you can save 10% on all Walk Bundle packages. To register, visit walkwithisrael.com. All right, so thank you for joining us, Manuel. Really appreciate it. Um, I think both of us just are very curious, what got you started in architecture? Wait, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Starting off heavy-handed. Yeah, yeah. 
wow, I just, uh, I don't know, at the end of my um, school years, I obviously I was thinking, what's, what should I, what should I study, uh, in which direction should I develop, and I, I thought architecture is maybe the most interesting, um, and it turned out that it is, that I was right, it is the most interesting discipline, um, uh, because it somehow combines um, um, aspects of theory, of philosophy, of, of um, yeah, critical thought uh, with, uh, uh, let's say, uh, an activity that becomes very social, becomes visible, uh, that, that uh, is perceived uh, and, and that affects uh, most of the population. And I thought that was an in- interesting uh, combination, this, this uh, notion of, of uh, theory and practice uh, kind of intersecting and and uh, I, I still believe that it's really the, the most fascinating of all disciplines. So before we get into your work, which we both have a lot of uh, questions about, I'd like to talk a little bit about architecture more uh, in a wider sense. There's a bit of a theory that Jews don't really have their own architectural style because we've always been very nomadic and influenced by the other cultures around us. Do you agree with that, or do you think that there is a Jewish architectural style that does exist? I, I spent uh, quite a lot of my my um, diploma project uh, on more or less this question, um, and, oh, really? and my my thesis in the end was that um, yes, to a certain extent, it's true because of diaspora, because of maybe several other reasons. Uh, Jews, they, they, there's little of a of a authentic Jewish style, architectural style, you know, like, like there's uh, the Gothic style that, that somehow expresses and <clears throat> beliefs of, of the Christian religion. And, and uh, for various reasons, um, Jews have had, at least until, let's say, early modernity, have, um, didn't have the, the ability or the, didn't build in that extent as the majority of the population um, outside of Israel, obviously. On the other hand, my claim would be that Jews did develop a very particular approach to space, to formulating space, to shaping space, but they didn't do it with bricks and mortar, they did it with words. And um, the Talmud, uh, and in specific, um, one tractate of the Talmud, and as a footnote, I'm not a Jewish scholar, I'm an architect, <clears throat> so um, take everything a little bit, maybe with some skepticism. Um, uh, the Masechet the Erobin, uh, one tractate of the Talmud, um, expresses a very unique approach to shaping space, to formulating space, um, space, especially space in the diaspora, uh, and, and could be seen as a, a kind of Jewish practice of architecture or Jewish practice of shaping space. Do you feel like you have a particular style or is your style malleable to the project that you're working on? Yes. Uh, so every every building um, is, a, is a kind of little research project maybe in itself or a larger research uh, project in itself. I don't have a, have a style as a, as a formula that I apply again and again and again. Uh, and we know, of mm-hmm. course, of many architects uh, that do that or that have done that, and there's no critique. Uh, they're like, I don't know, Frank Gehry's, ah, how did, uh, they're amazing architects, um, and you do recognize uh, them just by their formal kind of expression. Um, but uh, I find it uh, maybe more interesting to, to see how each project 
asks for or almost demands its own uh, particular approach. Uh, and I really like to delve into um, the particularities of what is the urban setting? What is the, the, the brief? What is the, who is the client? Uh, in which neighborhood does it sit? Um, what is the climate? What is the materiality? What's the cultural background? What's the history of the site and so on that then formulates a very unique approach uh, and, and maybe derives a very uh, also a unique uh, formal response. I want to talk a bit about the Babinyar Synagogue, which you designed. First off, for the listeners who have not seen a video or pictures of the synagogue, can you tell us a bit about um, what it looks like and a bit about why it's such an important uh, architectural piece in terms of the the historical context of the area? So um, for anybody who doesn't know, um, Babinyar uh, is located on the edge of Kiev, by now Kiev has grown beyond it uh, and in 1941 was the site uh, of uh, maybe the worst massacre uh, of the Holocaust where within two days uh, Nazis shot uh, 30 almost 34,000 Jews um, more or less all the Jews that remained in in Kiev when the Nazis had entered Kiev in on September 19th uh, 1941 Um, it's uh, uh, the site is a ravine um, and uh, is is really a, a let's say by now a a haunted uh, place because uh, it's it's a site that has seen more death uh, than almost any other place on this on this planet in such a short time. Um, I was then um, commissioned to design a synagogue. Um, that was a commission that uh, I received in October 2020. And um, so, how does it look like? Um, uh, it's a it's a wooden building. Uh, it sits on a platform, slightly hovering above the ground, and uh, it it uh, uh, is open, open like a book. Uh, and in fact, it it unfolds, it opens and closes like a book, maybe like these uh, pop up books that we know from, I don't know, museum stores, children bookstores, and, and so on. Um, Which is honestly fascinating to look at. When I was watching and doing research the other day and I saw the pop-up, it, it's it's not it's something I've never seen before. Yeah, in, me too. In a, not only a temple, but in a building that you can manually open and then you manually have to close, and it takes what looked like a lot of effort to do so. And what, what made you decide to do it in that style, like as a pop-up book? So uh, when I received the competition, uh, the commission, I was thinking... How do you act as an architect on a on a site um, that has seen so much uh, murder, uh, that has seen so much death? And the usual response would be to design something that is very somber, uh, very heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. now there's almost this this um, forgive my expression, but this stupid equation of if the crime is very heavy, then the architectural response needs to be very heavy in, in kilograms, in pounds, in tons. Uh, and, and I rejected that uh, intuitively. And I wanted to design something that is much more uh, transformative, that maybe brings a new ritual onto the site. And because it's not a number, an abstract number of people that died there. It's 34,000 individuals with all their own dreams and aspirations and hopes and, and in a way, um, uh, languages or, or, or expressions. And uh, so I wanted to give uh, uh, expression to this multitude of, 
desires, aspirations, souls that were lost there. And so I thought uh, something that is transformative, that uh, can, um, that, that um, yeah, speaks to, to uh, many voices uh, is something that is much more uh, valuable or uh, goes to the heart of what needs to be commemorated there. And what's been the public's response to that synagogue? I think, um, if I can say that, it was extremely positive. Um, uh, so um, maybe one step, taking, taking one step back, <clears throat> um, I must say that the client was quite courageous, and I'm extremely thankful for the client to, to have embraced that design. It's a, it's a synagogue, as you said, it's a synagogue that is maybe unlike any other synagogue, opening up, uh, closing. It's also a, a mechanical um, uh, experiment, uh, um, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it was quite courageous. Uh, it's a very, very unconventional uh, synagogue, but maybe one could claim that it's actually the, the most synagogish uh, synagogue, uh, if that's a word that exists, um, because mm -hmm. um, now yeah. if we, uh, why the book? Um, the book is maybe obvious, uh, we're the people of the book, um, but when we go into the synagogue, we open a book, the Siddur, and the Siddur opens this kind of universe of stories and morals and, and um, legal uh, and, and um, religious uh, kind of tales. And in a way, the pop-up book uh, does something very similar. We open a pop-up book and it unfolds into a three-dimensional object, mm. and it really unfolds into a new universe that we put our nose in. And and this is this kind of this wonder, this awe is very close to what the synagogue, in a way, also uh, does to us when we um, go and 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 for service. Um, so it it uh, goes to the very core, I would claim, of what a synagogue is. I love that. And you also designed the Light of Diaspora in Germany, which was a very Jewish area uh, in the Middle Ages and then kind of came back after World War II. It seems like there's a bit of trend with some of the Jewish projects you've worked on that you're helping cement uh, a sense of Jewish history and continuity in those areas. Is that an area of your work that when you first started out as an architect, you ever thought that you would end up creating almost these social projects uh, is that something that you had anticipated? Uh, I think it's uh, no one as a, a young 18, 19 year old boy can anticipate uh, uh, what you do <laughs> uh, 20 years later or, or so. No, that's, that's uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, too much to ask for. But uh, and maybe it's also good that you don't anticipate what, what's going to come. Um, yeah. No, but um, the, the, with, with Mainz, you reference uh, the, this other synagogue that I built in, in Mainz, in the city in Germany, uh, that uh, used to be maybe the the center of learning in the 10th, 11th, 12th century, um, uh, and and was so important for Judaism in itself uh, that the rabbi who the main rabbi who lived there, uh, Gershon ben Yudah, was given the name of of uh, Meo Hagolah, the, the the light of diaspora. So and and I wanted to uh, link back to that part of history uh, to to celebrate in a way the the cultural achievement of the diaspora uh, and and to bring that uh, to everybody's attention uh, through the, the construction and design of the of the synagogue so maybe what um, what I am interested in uh, is this notion of uh, yeah diasporatic space um, transformational space mm -hmm. um, and and uh, that also um, then then in, informed some of my other work uh, in architecture 
What, what I find most fascinating about all your work is, and we've talked a bit about this on our sister podcast, Bonjour Chai, where so many of our synagogues of 100 years ago have become museum pieces. They're, they're sort of stuck and encapsulated in the past. What I see you doing is really making a way forward in the future, that these are things that we participate and we are propelling forward. They are not being forced back in the past. Like when I went to the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, I felt nothing. It felt drab. It felt heavy, as you described earlier. It felt depressing. What I see with your synagogue at Babi Yar is, is it's all about life. It is about promoting life and moving forward in the future. Yeah, I mean, thank you for your your, your comments and words. Um, absolutely, because I, I think um, and I strongly believe that, uh, and, and this shouldn't sound like a play of words, uh, that uh, you know, the, the best way we can honor the, the dead, uh, and there are so many thousands of dead there on Babinyar, the best way we can honor the dead is to celebrate life. Uh, uh, only if we do that, uh, we have truly overcome the crimes of the um, of the Holocaust. Um, and otherwise, we're always pulled back. Uh, and otherwise, uh, somehow, the act of the Nazis are always overwhelming us. And, and I do believe that uh, we have to, of course, uh, uh, remember and commemorate uh, the terrible crime that was committed there, but also celebrate life. And, and um, if the viewers haven't seen the synagogue please go online and 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 search for images because uh, what you will see immediately is this kind of um splendor uh, also or or colorfulness uh, that the the project that the building uh, kind of radiates uh, and and uh, for me this was very important so before we wrap up i just had a last uh question for you so you've designed buildings all over the world with so many different cultures as we mentioned earlier what would you say is a takeaway that you could leave our audiences with that you've been able to absorb from working with all these different cultures all over the world to help create structures that last and make an impact? I know that's a big question. It doesn't have to be the, the ultimate thing, uh, but what's the first thing that comes to mind that you would love people to it's know? It's a very big question. I don't know. Um, as a proper Jewish boy, I would, of course, go back to my parents and and uh, say that one thing that my parents taught me is uh, is a certain culture of cosmopolitanism, you know, that we are not tied to our, I don't know, home city, uh, neighborhood, uh, uh, and and uh, uh, but that that we are really um, uh, we are we are. Uh, we live on on this planet, and the the planet is is uh, we are free to kind of roam around the, the planet, and and uh, this this spirit of cosmopolitanism is, I'm afraid, somehow at risk at the moment. Now we see so many political trends uh, that go against that, and and this is really something that I cherish incredibly much uh, uh, that we remain open to other influences and that we always learn from other influences and I use architecture, I use the practice of architecture to, to learn. This is the only way that or the, the, the main drive of me doing architecture is to learn uh, and to sustain this, this quality of cosmopolitanism. And you were recently in Toronto, you had an exhibition at the Koffler Centre there. Um, was this your first time in Canada? No, I've been a couple of times. Uh, uh, but. Uh, uh, I, I very much enjoyed now visiting uh, several times during the the, the run uh, of the exhibition and the opening, uh, uh, and and um, 
I don't want to kind of clap my own shoulder, but I, I, I would say um, it's, we, we really managed to, to put together a wonderful exhibition with an amazing uh, architectural model, uh, uh, fantastic photography um, and uh, superb videos. Please all go and see the show. If you're in Toronto, go see the show. So what was the show focusing on? Well, it was uh, focusing on the, the synagogue of Babinyar. Um, and and uh, it kind of traces uh, both the history of what happened there uh, and it traces also the uh, design process uh, and then uh, beyond that of course contextualizes the the synagogue uh, in the 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 war uh, that is unfortunately very unfortunately happening uh, now in in the ukraine uh, so it, it spans uh, more than 80 years uh, and uh, is, is quite a, a rich exhibition. Thank you so much, Manuel. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your interests. So, Lana, what's been going on in your life? Anything interesting? Anything new? Any new things that you're checking out? As I mentioned in our last episode, um, I'm gearing up towards the end of my JAM mentorship program, the Jewish Arts Mentorship Program at the Siegel Center. So that's keeping me busy alongside some voiceover and other various projects, but that's pretty much what I've been working on for the last few months. So nothing really do you, new, uh, new. Do you get a certificate at the end of the JAM program? A certificate? Yes. Maybe I'll get a bottle of, like a jar of jam. That was a really bad joke. Uh-huh. Um, I was, well, I was thinking uh, of it's mine. I think we get it, we're going to get nice reference letters to apply for grants and more uh, uh-huh. development of our shows. But it, it has been really lovely, and I enjoyed being able to see uh, Prayer for the French Republic with my jam cohort um, after we had recorded our last episode. And I have to say, I really liked it. And I know we spent an entire episode already talking about it. So I'm going to pass the rod on to you. What What are you working on or what's new? Well, on May 27th, there's going to be a public reading of my play, Vile. It won Best Ooh. New Text at Fire Exit Theatre. It's a small theatre company in Calgary. So I'm really looking forward to working with a bunch of actors. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of rehearsal and then it'll be open for the public to come and see. Is that your show about the Middle East conflict? Yes, but it takes place in Canada. So it's, it's really about a, oh. a, a Canadian professor um, who's really forced to choose between like duty to her career and uh, allegiance to her tribe. And that's sort of the conflict of the play. Is she, it's the main character is Jewish? Yes, or? she's a Mizrahi okay. Jew. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Anything more that you can give us in way of spoilers or do people have to fly to Calgary and go see this reading? Well, I don't, uh, you know, uh, people can definitely fly to Calgary. That would be very exciting. But if they don't, uh, I do hope to have like a Zoom link open to it. So people Mm. in different cities will be able to see the full reading. Um, I I guess I could say that the play kind of just explores the rabbit hole that is Jewish identity and all the tensions that, all the tensions and conflicts inherited in like who gets to decide who calls themselves Jewish. Um, Mm -hmm. That was going on. That was my pandemic play. And and if you cannot make it on May 27th, on June 5th, there will be another reading at my temple, Temple B'nai Tikva, also in Calgary. Very nice. Mazel tov. Thank you. I'm excited and nervous. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Is this, I know you've written before. Is this the second play that you've written or you've written more than one? Uh, this is probably the biggest play I've written. I've written like theater for young audience shows. Um, I've oh, written okay, one. Okay. Yeah, I've had a show that was 
uh, published as well several years ago that I directed at the Fringe in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, so this is probably one of the bigger scripts I've I've ever worked on. That's so cool. You know, I have a memory. I don't know if I ever told you this, but at no. my library in Vancouver, I found uh, your name in a book. I was oh. in the, it was like a tiny tiny theater section in my neighborhood and they happened to have a compilation of short Canadian plays and your play was one of the plays, which was, that was crazy so love? cool. I don't remember which one it was, but I guess so. Whichever one was published in a compilation of Canadian short plays. <laughs> that, yeah, that would have that would have been it. That was yeah. my first published play, and it was yeah, so uh, that's cool. the one we did in Montreal. It was very uh, it was had a great time. So let's share a few uh, listings of what's going on Jewishly artistically in Canada. Um, I can start with an installation that's that's going to be going up on May twenty third as part of in Toronto. I'm like looking at all of this information and there's so much. It's in partnership with the JCC and Cultura and Fenster, it seems to be, is the name of the uh, company that's putting it on. It's essentially uh, a window gallery pop-up project that's only on view for one night. And it's inspired by the metaphor of maps, narrative, memory, migration, and place. So it's essentially an interactive handmade 18 meter long wool map of Bathurst Street. And it, and it goes into the different artists' roots, uh, Jewish roots in Toronto and of the uh, Jewish Toronto's community, as well as uh, indigenous people that have lived in those areas. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about those kind of themes of, you know, where do we come from geographically too, especially being back in Montreal, where my great grandparents, some of them are even born here or moved here. And Every little corner has so much history here, and Toronto's is a little more hidden, but when you know where it is, there's, there's a lot of interesting things to see. Anything on your radar, David? The only other thing I would say that caught my attention was on May 4th, there's going to be a Calgary interfaith breakfast with our current mayor, Mayor, mayor Gondek. So they're going to invite a bunch of different people um, to, to gather and to sort of celebrate religious diversity in this city. Um, it'll be right fresh and early in the morning for like a breakfast event. So if anyone wants to check that out, what's going on in our city for this interfaith breakfast, May 4th, it's $10, I believe the cost. Uh, and you can register and check and check it out online. I realized that I didn't say the name of the exhibition. Oh, Alana, <laughs> you called... failed. <laughs> you failed it's hardcore. Ha- it's called Hamapa, which is the map in Hebrew. Um, so yeah, just thought I would, uh, throw that in there. I'm like looking at their webpage. There's so much information, but hopefully you will figure it out if you are interested in checking it out. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, Ilana Zakon, and me, David Sklar. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel-Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. If you like this episode, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks for listening. Thank you.